Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Tonight, more news outlets are coming forward, acknowledging they had information about an alleged affair between Donald Trump and a porn actress who goes by the name Stormy Daniels. It sounds like the name of either a porn star or a weather woman. Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels. We have exclusive and detailed new information this morning about the relationship between Mr. Trump and a woman known as Stormy Daniels, an adult film... Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Okay, today's topic, focus and framing. This is another one of those uh, topics uh, that Lane lectures on. And you were, you were telling me, so this for you is the hardest part, right? Putting all the pieces together. Why? What do you find most challenging about that? Well, I cast a very, very wide net with every story that I do. I want to go super wide and super deep, which you can't really do both necessarily. And I always over-report until someone says, stop and start writing. You know, So I usually have gathered way too much uh, information and way too many people and questions. So it's hard for me to, to take that moment of, I've got, I've got so much. What do I do with it? What do I leave out? Like all these pieces to this puzzle, but what are you going to... What, what do you want the picture to look like? Yeah, you know? do you start with the frame or do you start with the center or like, you know, what pieces aren't going to make it into your puzzle? And I think what I'm going to leave out is always harder than what I'm going to leave in. Because mm-hmm. you're you're wed to a lot of the stuff. I do. I think everything's important and interesting. <laughs> so we're going to work through your process. So from the start, you're thinking not only about the who, but the how, right? You, 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 you mentioned that you, you're also even thinking about the mood and the style, like whether you're going to be Steinbeck or Cisneros or Cunningham, like what, you must be driving yourself crazy in your head. What is, <laughs> it's a not a good place to be right before I start to write. <laughs> what does that look like? I mean, yeah, so you're actually, that's interesting to me. So you're thinking about fiction writers too. Um, because well, you, 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 I, I don't know. These are people that you really respect and enjoy, and you're thinking about the mood that they set, the and the the voice. You know, mm-hmm. whose whose voice or whose perspective? That's usually the first thing I want to choose. So, you know, which which character is going to be my narrator? Who whose head can I get in that'll lead me to the rest of the scene the right way? You know, and and do I tell that story um, through my authoritative voice that I bring to it, or do I try to tell it through the perspective of a 12-year-old or whoever the character is that I'm writing about. And do you often think like it reminds you of a certain book you've read or, or, or the way an author would approach something? Sometimes a book or a song, going yeah. back to our song yeah. stories, a lot of it is like, oh, this is a Steve Earle song. You know, oh, this, this is a, a Bruce Springsteen song. And, and that kind of helps me put it in the right the mood or the right category. So you t- when you talk about focusing, you, you, you think of your stories a lot of the times as a movie, right? Um, how does that help you? I realize I'm nodding, and that doesn't translate on the podcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just I do. nodding. Yes, <laughs> I do. I, no, I think very cinematically, especially for my opening scene, I want to picture it as a movie. And so, where do you turn the camera? You know, do you start with the big, like my own private Idaho cloud of, you know, 
sky of clouds and nothing else do you start with like you know the, the titanic the great scene at the beginning with the ship like where where is your opening scene gonna bring readers like where do you want to drop them in at the moment that you start the story so that they'll want to follow you along so a lot of times I want something very cinematic that I think the readers can see and I want to place them at a a sense of place you know um John Pendergraft who we've talked about in another story was a wonderful photographer and he was working on a the documentary with me and he watched I don't even know 200 and something movies and only the first two minutes like how do you how do the best movies open and something like 180 out of the 200 movies started with a sense of place so whether it's you know Edward Scissorhands in this crazy like suburban neighborhood or it's like Moana on an island somewhere like from Disney to you know Spielberg almost all of them started with this like let's drop our readers into some place really specific that they can feel see smell whatever mm-hmm. You talk. You suggest close your eye, closing your eyes. Absolutely. Do you do that? I close my eyes and I watch my movie go through in my head. And I try different places. Like, what if I put the camera here? What if I didn't have any sound over here? What if you know? Mm-hmm. What if this character was way off in the distance versus like right in your face? Like, where, where do you want to be? A long shot or a close up shot? You know? Mm-hmm. Do you want to pan a big scene or, or do you want to like zoom in on some piece of jewelry specifically or something? Right. You know. Talk about using that lens because I think that um, photographers do it all, all the time. Obviously, they they are capturing; they're trying to do both. They 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 take the wide shot and then they zoom in. And quite often, when they present a story, they're giving you everything. Like they're giving you all that perspective. And you got to do the same thing in stories. You got to kind of zoom out. You got to zoom in. So you're thinking about that consciously, right? As you're putting together your story, you're thinking about where you're going to come in, where you're going to go out. Right. And I, I learned a lot about that by watching photographers, you know, they'll climb up on a ladder all of a sudden, or they'll be lying on their belly in the dirt and the grass and like getting those like literally different angles by where they position their bodies. And it changes the way that the reader is brought into the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, getting B-roll. I learned a lot of that from photographers, like the very, very zooming in on super duper specific detail scene, shots or scenes that have a lot of meaning to it, you know. Um, but yeah, I want to, I usually play through three or four versions in my closed eyes <laughs> of like where could the movie start and where would it take you and I, I before I start to write I want to know where I'm going to begin and where that little kicker is going to end on like if you had to jump the page or if there's a commercial in the TV show what's the promise of the piece the where promise of the piece and the cliffhanger and the foreshadowing because you want to leave readers at that beginning with a question mm-hmm. you, you want them to not stop reading so they have something to wonder about um, so the why is always the thing I think about the most before I start to write. I'm pretty damn good at getting the who, what, where, when, but the why and the how are the things I, I try to make sure I really understand before I start writing. And then a lot of times in the middle, I don't know what the middle story is going to look like, but I want to know where it's going to end. Right. I, I really, it, I, I, I might not know the exact ending, but I want to know where it's going to end or what note it's going to strike an ending on. We should probably do a whole podcast on endings because I think endings are not, people focus so much on the beginning and I and journalists focus a lot on the beginnings I think readers are all about the ending I mean whether they know it consciously or not it's like whether they walk away and feel like the story was worth it or not right you and know. I feel like if so I mean a lot of my stories are long or ish <laughs> long ish <laughs> and if someone's gonna follow me they're just for, long people <laughs> okay. I mean I got some short takes we did but like if, <laughs> if I want someone to follow me through 5,000 or 10,000 words I better give them a cherry on the top of the whipped cream at mm. the end you know they deserve an ending and I just judged this contest where out of the 28 stories I think 25 of them ended on a lame ass quote 
And I just thought the same thing. Like so many people just dismiss the ending with some summary quote from your main subject. And it's really like not satisfying at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about in terms of focusing too. And, and we're talking about the lens moving in and out. You, you mentioned the ladder of ab- abstraction, which a lot of writers should be thinking about, right? Do you actually consciously think about when you're coming, you're climbing it and climbing down? Or does it just sort of happen naturally now? Do you see, do you feel yourself sort of doing that? I I use that when I know I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I make myself impose that ladder of abstraction and think, okay, okay, what's the the smallest versus the most overarching detail and try to walk myself up and down that when I'm kind of lost, if I don't know what the why or the how of it is. Um, I think... A lot of times that comes from talking to you or the editor ahead of time. I, I can I cannot always figure that out myself. Mm-hmm. But if I have someone I can talk through the story with and sort of get that idea of like, what is what's it all about? You mm-hmm. know, what's what's the big takeaway you want people to have or the universal theme that they can connect to that helps focus and frame. And we should give a shout out to uh, Si Hayakawa, Si Hayakawa, who is the uh, the who defined the ladder of abstraction, right? So you go from the uh, tightest detail at the bottom to the big picture at the top and back back and although you sometimes want to flip the ladder, right? But um, you're going up and down it and you're kind of helping people to understand where this small thing fits into the larger picture. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd talk in terms of focus and framing here under this, we talk about Stormy. Uh, so just recently, uh, I sent Lane to a strip club. To, again, this was not my idea. Again, not her idea. <laughs> Actually, this was our managing editor's idea. So uh, shout out to Jennifer Orsi, who felt like, boy, uh, sending a writer to the strip club where the porn star who may or may not have slept with the president is going to start her Make America Horny tour. Um I'm sorry, Make America Horny Again tour would be an interesting place to go. So um, so it's not one where you get to do a lot of prep, although you you know, you know read up on Stormy and her career. I've watched up on Stormy and her career. <laughs> and then you dive in and you go to this strip club, right? And, you know, I'm leading you there, but we were obviously talking about it. But like, okay, so you go and take people there. Take us to the dollhouse that night. Well, so Maria assigns me this story on a Thursday night, and the strip club thing is Friday night. So I basically woke up Friday going, I don't know anything about Stormy Daniels except for what's been on The Daily Show the night before. And, like, who is she? What is really the porn place in her? Like, where in the porn world is she? I didn't know much about the porn world. I'd never really watched a porn movie before. But when I start researching her, all the really good and intimate intimate stuff about her came from these porn sites where she'd done these Q&As for like the last That's not really surprising. 10, 15 years and she had all this information about her that hadn't been in any of the mainstream media that all you gotta do is click on you know hotbabeswithbigtits.com and all of a sudden you've got these intimate interviews and so I, I went in knowing way too much about Stormy and her role in the porn world um, I, I didn't really know there was like a all different types of porn that she kind of was famous because she crisscrossed between them. She was a jack of all trades in that world. Um, But I was also told that we would get to sit with Stormy Daniels in her dressing room and I would get to interview her while she put on her false eyelashes and her pasties and I would get this exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the porn star of the president getting ready to do her thing. And then so we get there and the photographer and I are, are there maybe... 
half an hour, 45 minutes before she's supposed to go on stage and we're interviewing people in the crowd and it became quickly very, very obvious that no one was going to give us their name. And I, I think that was the thing that surprised me the most was that how ashamed people were. They were like all into being there, but they didn't want their neighbor, boss, kids, mother-in-law to know where they were. So we had nobody. And and then I thought, oh, well, at least we have Stormy. You know, I'll just narrate her day. I think our conversation from the beginning had been like, let's narrate her from the moment she gets to the dressing room to the moment she comes down off the pole. And um, before she was even on the stage, the bouncer of the club came up and said, oh, no, there's been a mistake. She's not going to talk to anybody. And you can't take any pictures. So bye-bye. And the photographer and I were like, okay, now, now what do we do? You know, was, our whole assignment just got quashed. So... He um, he was great. He's like our paparazzi photographer, um, Louis Santana. I should shout out to him because he was like, oh, hell no, they're not telling me no. And he went around and talked to some autograph seekers, found out what hotel she was staying in. He's like, worst comes to worst, I'm following her back to her hotel room tonight. I'm going to get the damn picture, you know. But we decided not to leave. And the TV stations left. Um, and the there was a Norway film crew there for some reason. And they left. And... All these people who would have been there to get the stormy story were like, yeah, we're going to leave. And so we had we kind of sat at the bar drinking water and <laughs> and regrouped and said, like, okay, what can we do? And um, I was like, well, if we can't write about stormy, we have to write somebody about somebody who has something at stake and why they're there to see stormy. So I probably interviewed 35 people from everyone from the manager of the club to the mom who sits backstage with the girls while they get ready to a couple of the strippers to the bouncer and the bartender. And a bunch of young women out there for a bachelorette thing and a bunch of young men out there after work. You know, nobody, nobody, nobody would give me their, their name. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want their picture taken. So I finally see this. This Actually, the photographer saw him at the same time I did. This like old guy sitting by himself on like his fifth drink. And because he's all those empty drinks all around and we could count how long he'd been there, you know. And he had a red Make America Horny Again ball cap on. So he was very visually attractive to Lewis. He was also very old and he was also the only person in there totally by himself. Um, so I kind of sidle up to him and start talking to him. And um, he was more than happy to talk to me and give me his full name and tell me he's a regular there. So he come, he saves all his money. He works at Walmart. All of his money goes to buying lap dances and highballs at the strip club and uh, he'd met Stormy years before before she was famous and he just wanted to talk to her he wanted to see if she remembered him and he said from the beginning and I want to tell her a joke I'm like that is a very funny thing like to me right like everybody's there to see the porn star like shaking her boobs and he's like no I want to tell her a joke and so he kind of I kind of latched onto him as my character so why don't you read about Mike uh, Remert um, just that snatch from the uh, story. The other thing I should say, just because my editor's sitting right here, is it was so hard because you couldn't hear in this porn clip, and you she couldn't told me see that. to take notes. Yeah, she complained it's about very, that too. Very difficult reporting conditions. Yeah, I heard that a lot. <laughs> Mike Remmert, seventy-four, voted for Trump because he's not a politician. He didn't care if the president had sex with the porn star. More power to him if he did. 
Remmert has been a regular at the dollhouse for more than a decade. Dancers call him the Candyman because he brings them bags of starlight mints. He lives alone, works at Walmart, saves his paychecks for crown rolling cokes and cover charges. He paid $20 to get in Friday, $80 more for four red mesh ball caps, making the dollhouse great again. He pulled one over his sparse white hair and gave the others to his favorite girls. I knew Stormy before all this stuff broke, he said proudly. I met her here three years ago. She signed a picture for me. He'd bought a couple of her DVDs that night, but said he never watched them. He wanted to ask if she remembered him. He wanted to tell her a joke. Uh, my husband, I, by the way, did not believe he hadn't watched those DVDs. Yeah, my <laughs> husband didn't believe that either. Uh, that was the first thing he said. No way he didn't watch those DVDs. Um, I mean, he was, a, you know, he was a, ultimately a really good character for this story. And I thought, I mean, you can walk away feeling like it's kind of sad that this is part of his life. But, I mean, he's he's it's part of his life that he enjoys. and It brought him joy. Yeah, it did bring him joy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, like that one changed in the moment because we couldn't get access to her. And obviously we were thinking, hey, she might even say something nationally important in that moment. And she didn't. So, um, but, and then, so you made a choice. You focused, you found a guy that we could focus in on and he had an interesting little point of view. And he had something at stake, however small it was. You know, he wanted this minute audience with her and, right. and this chance to say, like, do you remember me? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> you think she's going to remember you? But I, I also, at the end, I ended up talking to one of the other strippers, and I kind of thought that would have been another lens if I'd gone back. I might have worked at that a little bit more. But I knew that this story was going to be very interesting and salacious to some readers and very offensive to other readers. So rather than trying to... Um, make a stripper seem like a sympathetic character, I thought maybe I'll just go for the everyman. Mm-hmm. You know, here's this old dude. He wasn't buying lap dances. He wasn't, you know, feeling up the girls. He was just drinking his rum and coke and smiling and happy that they would smile back. Let me point out for all the reporters out there listening, um, you know, Lane went to the 6 o'clock show, which was actually not the 6 o'clock show because it ended up being like the 6.40 show or something. And she stayed until the midnight show, which also wasn't at midnight. And she didn't get home until close to 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, The midnight show never makes it into the story, really, except for one quick reference where we talk about the second show. But there was the hope and the expectation that something else might happen and that, you know, there might, you know, well, maybe at midnight Stormy's going to start talking and say something, so let's not leave just in case. And I would just, I I applaud her for doing that, and I think it's a good lesson for everybody that, you know, sometimes it'll be worth it. I mean, in this case, we didn't end up using it, and it was a lot of hours there, but sometimes it's worth it. Well, and if something had happened in that second show, I would have been kicking myself over missing it. You know what I yeah. mean? Even I figured it was worth the time to hang out just to see if something else came along that was right. better or worth it. Because if I hadn't and something had happened, then I would have been totally blown it. So back to this conversation about focus, focus and framing. Um, you, you, one of the things you, you talk about in your presentation on this subject is that you're often drawn to the alternative uh, viewpoint. And you, you mentioned, for instance, uh, the tale of Wicked. And, uh, you know, like, what if the, the big bad wolf was framed? How does that play out in your day-to-day? I mean, what do you, you're looking, I guess, for that, the, the story that people aren't thinking about. Right, and I think that goes back to stakeholders, you know, trying to find out, like, here, here's this, this issue or this thing, and, and everybody around it has something at stake. So what is the most 
interesting or what is the most unusual way you can jump into that? You know, who's, whose perspective wouldn't you think that you'd hear that from? You know, going back to the digging Kennedy's grave and mm-hmm. finding the grave digger, you know, just this idea of like everybody's touched by this moment in whatever way, but a lot of it comes down to, to who's going to let you in. Right. You know what I mean? If I'd Not gotten this, this you young know. bridal party to talk about Stormy Daniels, I would, totally would have run with that angle on it. You know, if I'd gotten the names of all the businessmen who were there in their you know, clearly this fraternity of brotherhood of some stockbroker group. I, you know, I could have done that too. So a lot of it comes down to like, who's going to let you in or, or who's going to be forthcoming about why they're interested in that. You talk about stakeholders a lot and that that's something that you're thinking about, you know, and so even after you, you know, you're setting out to go do a story, you're reporting it, you're thinking about who cares about this, why, um, and then making your choice to narrow in from there. Yeah, and I try to hit them as many of those as I can at the beginning to see which door I can kick open. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of framing, you you, you you talk about how every story is driven by a question, and that also helps you frame the story. Talk a little bit about that. What- yeah, I think those two things I want to go into it is, you know, well, three things. Who's got something at stake? Um, what's the question that I want the readers to stay with me through, the answer for it, and what's the one-word universal theme? So if I can get those pieces before I even start doing the the in-depth part of the reporting, it makes it a whole lot easier to find the story within that. I don't think we've talked about the one word much here. Like, so talk about, because I preach that too. We, you know, we talk about that a lot. You're the one who taught me that. <laughs> um, but that whole idea that there is, it, there's a theme behind every story and that you're looking for um, what this story is really about. And if if you can find that one word, then it'll help you to focus not only it'll help you see what you need from your reporting, and then, but it'll also help you as you shape the story because you'll know what doesn't belong in the story and what does. Right. right. I think more than anything, it helps pick and choose what you're going to use to build toward that theme, so you can leave the other pieces out. You know, um, and and this and I don't know if we talked about a one word theme of this before we went out to do this. Um, Stormy, <laughs> stormy, and, and kind of like the idea that everyone wants to see the porn store that the president may or may not have slept with. Um, well, we were thinking it's two words. We were thinking fifteen minutes. This is her fifteen minutes of fame, and what do you do with it? Right, you know. And she's like, you know, she's capitalizing on it. But it, when it became not about her, right. then what was it? You right. know. And the club owner was awesome. He's the story in and of itself. But he he says to me, we had this nice little intimate interview before the whole thing started, and he took me back in the little lap dance room, which I was like, oh, this is nice and dark and intimate on these velvet cushions, and that's what a lap dance room looks like. But he he was like in his seventies, and he'd been doing this forever. And he said, I want you to understand one thing. He's like, people don't come here for sex; they come here for attention. And I was like, oh, okay, now I have my theme. You know, it it was not about mm-hmm. getting off behind the bar. It was like these young pretty women are going to drink the rum and coke I bought for them and pretend for 15 minutes like they like me. And that was really helpful, you know, hearing that early in the reporting. And, and it also kind of felt like... It was kind of Trump and Stormy's story in the same way, too. You know, like, I'm just, I don't even want to go t- too deep on that end. But, like, it was all about attention, whether it's Trump getting the attention of this beautiful porn star or the porn star getting the attention of, at the time, the producer of The Apprentice and wanting to be on his TV show. You know, the sex was all secondary to that. Um, in terms of framing, you talk about uh, making sure you know where the turning point is. So what do you mean by that? Well, when I first started writing feature stories and they were all in print, I sat next to the designer of the page. And so I could go to her and say, where's it going to jump? And I knew that if it was going to jump 
you know, at six inches or 12 inches, that's where I wanted the turning point to be because I wanted the readers to follow the story past that jump. Um, now it's more like I use, I, I'd much rather think about my turning point than my nut graph. So where, where am I going to be able to get people just enough information that they care and they're invested that they're going to then slog through the next eight paragraphs of background or context or legislative appeals or whatever it is to come back to what's going to happen. You talk about, you know, make sure to consider chronology, you know, whether you follow it or whether you dump it on its head. What, what, how do you decide usually? Usually I start out making a timeline so that I know like exactly where did all the action begin and then where does it all end. And then I try to find it among that timeline, where's the best jumping off point. Usually it's kind of near the end. I feel like usually it's, it's kind of close to where the climax is going to happen. But sometimes it's, I start way, way back at the beginning and kind of bring you on this long Steinbecky travel, like <laughs> how the earth was created. Do you limit the jumps in time? Do you purposely try not to bounce people around too much? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like they can't probably follow you more than two or three um, leaps in time. <laughs> My son loves that movie Inception, and I can't understand that movie at all. I can't and either. He's that. watched it with me like seven times, and I don't get how many times it jumps to different layers and time frames. And, it's too confusing for me. So I, I want to just give my readers, like, here's a flashback, but then we're going to go forward from there, you know. You know, was, I was thinking about this when you were when the, we were talking about podcast topics and you were talking about focus and frame. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but you did a story about a Bosnian artist. And you did the whole story. This was back when we were at the pilot. And you did the whole story because there was a language barrier and you had a hard time you really capturing what her world had been like and what she'd been like and the whole story was her canvas and then the picture coming to life and I mean that was literally a frame <laughs> that was literally uh, a frame for the story yeah the painting that was probably the first time I tried it like that where yeah. I felt like but it was actually a frame it, it was, was literally a frame. frame and a canvas with the very early colors and shapes coming to life and I think there was also a beer involved in that where they found a beer, a Grolsch beer that they hadn't had since they left Bosnia. Mm-hmm. And it was like opening the beer and then drinking the beer as the course of painting the picture. And the picture was framed, if I remember right, in the window overlooking this kind of crappy apartment complex where they had just moved. But they were painting mm-hmm. these gorgeous snow-capped mountains that they remembered out of their window. Right. You. Um, so let's finish with, you talk about bouncing in and out of your frame. What do you mean by that? A lot of times... When I can't figure out the best structure for a story, it kind of becomes like an A, B, A, B, A, B frame mm-hmm. so that you're in the narrative, in the scene, and something's unfolding and you're witnessing it, and then I break out and tell you the background. And then you're back in the narrative, something else is happening, and then I break out and tell you, well, here's what's going on in the rest of the world, you know, and then I go back to the narrative. So a lot of my stories are structured like that where you get narrative information, narrative information, and it always wants to start and end on the narrative. Okay. All right. We'll end on that note. If you guys have a question for Lane about any of her stories, if you'd like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.